Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular Continuing Medical Education Podcast. Join us each week to discuss the most pressing topics in cardiology and gain valuable insights that can be directly applied to your practice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the interviews with the experts coming to you from Mayo Clinic Rochester, Minnesota. And today we have the great topic about why quantitative measurements matter in valvular heart disease. And with us to help explain that concept is Dr. Jeremy Thaden, a great colleague of mine here at Mayo Clinic Rochester as well. He's an assistant professor of cardiovascular medicine and also the vice chair of the division of cardiac ultrasound. So I think there's a very good chance you know a little bit about this topic and enlighten our audience today. So Jeremy, thank you for being with us. Thank you. What do you use, I guess, for valvular quantification and echo? And what are the specific examples of quantification that we can use in valvular heart disease? Well, that's a, so it's, I, this is a, it, as you said, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart as the, as a member of the echo lab and one who kind of oversees quality. So the way that we use quantitation and echo. So echo, one of the beautiful parts of echo is it, we gather so much data. We gather data on cardiac size and function, uh, and then we can measure flow with Doppler and for pressure gradients. Um, I would say that you know, echo is always an integrative approach, particularly when we talk to valvular, we'll talk about valvular lesions and the atrioventricular valves in particular, uh, we use an integrative approach. But what uh, quantitation gives us is a further refinement, basically, of understanding of, of the severity of valve lesions. And one of the first valves that we quantified was aortic stenosis, right? So we've been doing that for decades now. And a lot of that original work was done here at Mayo and other places. But it's really what's allowed echo and, and transthoracic echo to become the workhorse of following and assessing aortic stenosis. More recently, I would say, but still we've been doing for a long time, is we rely heavily on PISA quantitation of regurgitant lesions. So in particular, mitral regurgitation, and I think increasingly uh, tricuspid regurgitation as well. And so the atrioventricular valves the regurgitant lesions can be a little trickier to grade. Uh, there's more variability, but the guidelines suggest, and and this fits our clinical practice, is for most patients, we still quantify. And so the quantification gives us better stratification of the severity. It has important and robust outcomes data associated with it. And I think it, when done well, it, it improves reproducibility. So that's kind of the way I think of, of our current practice of quantification in valvular heart disease. So it really gives us a common language to be able to discuss the severity of valvular heart disease with our colleagues in other areas, such as the cardiac surgeons potentially or referring physicians. And it also gives you a longitudinal view of that patient's valvular heart disease as it may progress or maybe doesn't progress, hopefully, over That's time. Right. And then uh, that coupled with other parameters around compensation of the ventricle or the atrium might make, uh, helps us to time the interventions that we might be doing. Absolutely. And to individualize care for our patients, you know, thinking about the severity of the valve lesion, and then also thinking about the effects on the ventricle. Uh, you, you can see both with echo, with quantitative echo. What is the benefit of quantifying valvular lesions beyond just the discussion that we had where 
you're talking with colleagues, et cetera. Are there other things that we benefit from if we? So I think the two biggest things um, that I think of are particularly when we think about the atrioventricular valves. So with mitral and tricuspid regurgitation, there can be, again, a little trickier to grade. And there's probably, I mean, studies that we've done have shown that there's more variability in grading these regurgitant lesions as opposed to aortic stenosis, for instance. Not that there isn't variability in aortic stenosis, but particularly for for the regurgitant lesions, there's more variability. And what we've shown with some prior studies is that by including quantitation that's done well, you actually can improve reproducibility. Uh, and so by adding that extra step of quantitation, we can improve inter-observer uh, variability and, and therefore improve grading. And then the other thing is outcomes data, right? So I think it gets at basically the patients that are maybe not going to do the best without an intervention and therefore kind of helps us target those patients who are in need of a procedure. And aortic stenosis is, again, the one kind of that started, you know, probably the first valve lesion that we started quantifying. And a lot of this work was done years ago, but, you know, peak jet velocity, aortic valve mean gradient, all these quantitative parameters have really important prognostic implications and help us select those patients to go to, to procedures. And subsequent to that, PISA quantitation among, um, at least in my opinion, uh, among quantitative measures of regurgitation, PISA quantitation has the most robust outcomes data uh, of anything. So, so I think in addition to improving our inner rater reproducibility uh, and, and grading that way, they have really robust outcomes data attached to them. And based on what you're saying, I would maybe extrapolate a little, a little bit too. That's how we get the data to be able to put in the outcomes data. If we don't have different groups and different quantification that we do in order to then assess the therapies that we're offering patients, we can't say, yes, it's good in this group. Or, you know, now we're moving to earlier and earlier intervention for various valvular heart disease. We learned that because we had ability to quantify and then thus group patients into those that would be high, intermediate, and low risk. For instance, mitroclip therapy in functional mitrogurgitation patients, right? If you look at the algorithm where those patients were selected for the trial, I mean, it was robust quantification. It was based on an EROA from PISA quantitation uh, or pulmonary vein systolic flow. And that was sort of coupled with, you know, LV size parameters based on volumes. So there's a lot of quantitative data that went into that. So when we think about patients, you know, with functional mitrogurgitation, they're on goal-directed medical therapy, those that might benefit, you know, the patients from COAPT were highly selected based on quantitative echo data. So I, I think there is a lot of value there. Do you see any changes in the quantification, you know, looking down the road? I know it's hard to predict the future, but we always try anyway. Yeah. Uh, how is How do you think quantification is going to change as we move ahead in this century, next day, five or 10 years? Yeah, that's a great question. So another topic that's near and dear to my heart is 3D echo. And so I think that, you know, 3D echo and structural heart disease, you know, transcatheter interventions have really co-evolved. I mean, over the last 10, 15 years, we've seen an explosive increase in the number of devices that are that we have clinically available, but but also the number that are undergoing testing is just tremendous. And along with that, we've seen 3D echo 
the, the our abilities with 3D Echo just explode. I mean, the resolution, you know, is much better. Our ability to do real-time imaging with multiplanar reformatting and guide interventions has has exploded. So I think more and more in the future, we will we'll see 3D Echo integrated into quantitation. So whether that's, you know, a 3D ejection fraction or 3D regurgitant orifice area, uh, 3D planimetry of a mitral valve orifice area, I think we'll increasingly see this uh, incorporated into clinical practice. What's interesting is, you know, I think there are strong arguments that a lot of these 3D parameters are probably you know, what we would consider kind of closer to the truth, you know, than our 2D measurements. But what's lacking still are large cohorts with kind of robust outcomes data and reproducibility. So my hope is that in years to come, we'll see some of these newer parameters go through kind of the rigorous evaluation that PISA and aortic valve mean gradient did to show that there's added value there. But I think increasingly we'll see more of the 3D measurements. And then also we're seeing AI kind of play in and automate some of these complex measurements for us. So already we have multiple vendors that will offer complex 3D uh, modeling of the mitral annulus, mitral valve, or tricuspid valve, and it's mostly automated. I mean, it, it's uh, AI-driven and automated. So I, I think we'll increasingly see uh, these complex measures, uh, or, or I shouldn't say complex, these 3D measures that don't rely on some of the anatomic assumptions of 2D, uh, we'll see those utilized more in clinical practice. Well, it sounds like an exciting future. I know I had a funny feeling that you were going to say it had something to do with 3D would be the future. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you predicted that part of the future. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Looking at why quantification is necessary uh, in valvular heart disease, I, I would uh, summarize what you've said by basically saying that it gives us reproducibility within a lab, within longitudinal following of one patient, yep. and for developing more robust studies as we go forward to try to evaluate the benefit of these new technologies. That's right. I think that's exactly right. Well, that's been a very nice discussion. and. Are there any other comments that you want to make? Uh, you know, I would make a plug. Uh, you know, if you're if you're an echocardiographer, sonographer, and your lab isn't routinely doing quantification, I would make a plug that you you think about it, that you start looking into it and thinking about it. I think most labs are doing pretty much, I'm sure all labs are doing quantification for aortic stenosis. I think that there's probably fewer that are doing PISA quantitation, but I think based on our experience, I think when it's done well and consistently, it actually doesn't take that much extra time and really adds a lot to these studies. So I would I would strongly consider it. Are there resources, say somebody who's listening to this podcast is taking your plug and is going to go learn more about it to bring it to their lab? Yeah, so there are multiple resources. I mean, there even the, I mean, if you look at ASC's, you know, even just starting at ASC's guidelines, they have a pretty comprehensive section dedicated to quantitative echo, how to do it correctly, pitfalls, limitations. Um, so that would, I think, be a good place to start. And the American it, Society of Echocardiography. And is that something that people can get at, um, obviously, on their website, I'm guessing? Yep, and those are available for free on the web on their website. Even if uh, you're not a member. 
even if you're not a member, correct. And then I would say we we have multiple uh, you know multiple um, resources available uh, through various videos and CMEs uh, online or in person that where valve disease is a focus, and certainly uh, we discuss all these different valve lesions in detail. Yeah, so there is a Mayo Clinic CV education app, if you will, that you can download onto your phone. And a lot of the material on that site is accessible through your iPad or your iPhone and free. Yep. And thank you for your time. And thank you to your audience, to our audience for taking their time to, to listen to interviews with the experts, Rochester, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today. Feel free to share your thoughts and suggestions about the podcast by emailing cvselfstudy at mayo.edu. Be sure to subscribe to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular CME podcast on your favorite platform and tune in each week to explore today's most pressing cardiology topics with your colleagues at Mayo Clinic. This has been a Mayo Clinic podcast.